Strange New Worlds, which is just starting to air on Paramount Plus. Spock is about to have sex. And yet here we are in week five of season three of the original series, and Spock almost has sex. That's a weird confluence of circumstances for sure. <laughs> Good day, everybody. My name is Matt, coming to you from Austin and coming to you from Planet Houston is my brother Ken. Say hello, Ken. Greetings and long life. Man, what a writer DC Fontana is, huh? Oh, so absolutely. Good. Every episode. So clear, concise, despite, you know, a few little blah, 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 here and there. Her plotting is perfect. Her dialogue is always on, t- is always uh, perfect. Uh, and as you go down the list, of course, of best of episodes, there's her name all the time showing up there. Journey to Babel, for instance. And I wonder, because she does obviously a lot of like Spock Vulcan episodes if uh perhaps she's like secretly nurse chapel deep down and she's uh she's in love with spock i just wonder if that's a thing or maybe in this case finding herself in the commander's shoes as she's writing i think she finds him to be an interesting character certainly right yeah nimoy actually says this like all of dorothy's scripts the Enterprise incident had an edge to it, an adult level of complication and social commentary. The characters' lives are being affected, their ethics violated, even their spirituality touched. Scripts like these added to the moral structure of the Star Trek universe. He even goes on to say that it's scripts like this that make it fun to do the show. She had the advantage that she was working off a real incident mm-hmm. as the inspiration for her story. So, you know, in in January of 68, which had been not quite a year before the episode will air, right? the, the U.S. Navy uh, had a spy ship that was supposed to uh, traverse the North Korean coast just a, a mile out of its uh, recognized territorial waters. This is a situation where the North Koreans were claiming like 50 miles the United States was recognizing 12. The ship was supposed to stay 13. Uh, the ship was unable to stay outside the 12 and would occasionally veer inside. And the North Koreans attacked her. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, one of the reasons that Kurt Gibbs for his ship uh, or is that he had, they had navigation problems. Systems mm-hmm. had failed, backs, backups had failed. And, you know, this, this parallels what had happened to, uh, to the Pueblo. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of stuff is, you know, kind of ripped from the headlines in a certain sense, right? Absolutely. And when there are strong story elements that you get to, get to take from the news take from reality you don't need to write that part of the story 
mm-hmm. you can focus on how do my characters respond to being put into this situation. Right? And of course, right. the reason that they're going into Romulan's face isn't some signals intelligence, which is what the Pueblo is doing. But, you know, what would our characters want in Romulan's face? Well, they would right. want the new, the new cloaking device. So, once again, that kind of writes itself. And then you get to focus on not the story and the plot, but pacing and mm-hmm. character. Yeah, well, if you remember in our 1968 episode, we kind of like kind of did a little bit deeper dive into that. So if you listeners want to go back and check that out, please feel free to. But yeah, it was uh, because it was such a hot topic. Uh, both Fontana and Justin were a bit unsure whether or not the network would approve the storyline or not. But sure enough, they did like the idea so much so that they asked that it be rushed into development. They didn't want, you know, to miss out on this uh, perfect synchronicity here. Uh, So uh, DC Fontana actually set aside her three other Trek assignments to make this one a priority. So uh, DC actually originally called this episode Ears, not only because of the ears donned by Kirk and McCoy in earlier treatments, but also because of the listening post aspect that they gave the Enterprise. So they thought that ears would be fun. Also aboard in early drafts were Sarek, and it was actually him who gets the Spock scenes with the commander, although the commander at this point was male. No sex stuff, obviously, because, you know, this is the 60s, and that would not have flown. Um, But this version is a lot more of, like, the meeting of two great minds, right? Sarek and the commander. Uh, DC ends up rewriting the next outline without Sarek, uh, but the commander is still male here. And again, Justman was afraid that like, well, if we're going to pay, you know, Mark Leonard to come back for $3,000 and give him all the good stuff that why don't we just write it for Spock and make it, you know, make it more about one of our characters. Robert Justman, with his usual sarcasm, advocated um, <clears throat> not to have everyone dressed in Romulan ears. He didn't want McCoy and, and Kirk to do that. He did understand the you know publicity of it, like being able to take that picture of Kirk in the ears and, and put that out on the TV guide. But uh, he was like, I mean, if we're going to do that, let's get uh, James Mason and Marlon Brando pictured with some of the ears on. Heck, let's even try to get LBJ in here to get some publicity photos as well. (laughs) Oh, Robert Justman. John Meredith Lucas returns to direct this episode. Uh, It was him with the producers who decided to add the sex scene in this, uh, saying that there is much kissing. But then it was DC Fontana who... uh, But it's DC Fontana who writes... uh, who writes the producers explaining that this is not the Vulcan way. They don't kiss, they don't hug, and we have already established it that they use their hands to show affection. Also, the producers had originally cut a scene with Chapel, but Fontana also asked that that be put back in because not only is she connected to both McCoy and Spock, but, as she writes, female viewers tend to identify with her caring for Spock, and, as head nurse, She's also a professional associate with McCoy, as well as someone else for him to talk to. Yeah, so I, I had heard some some of that criticism about uh, Strange New Worlds that uh, 
they, they seemed a little too affectionate. And I, I it does seem like uh, DC Fontana's approach here is being neglected for some good television. Surprise. Yep. I was thinking about this, as we tend to do, watching this for the first time in the 60s, right? You know, you've been watching all these seasons. Romulans are the bad guy. They're tactically sound. They have the ears. They have the eyebrows. They have the smarts. But then to suddenly find out that the Vulcans and the Romulans have the same forebears, well, that must have been quite a shock. But I guess it makes sense, right? Well, it's it's one of the reveals, you know, from from the original Romulan episode. Because they, they get that screenshot and they see the Romulan and they're like, and, and the guy turns and he looks at, at Spock and oh, then you get right. the whole, leave that, uh, leave any bigotry in your quarters, Mr. Goofy face. I can't remember what his name was. Yeah. And then uh, Spock postulates it's possible, you know, that our people could have had the same origin. You know, I had a tumultuous uh, past. It's one of these, the, the Vulcans don't even know their own history because of how tumultuous their past was. Mm-hmm. So I did not find, um, I did not find the story that you said last week that they lost the Romulan ship and that is why there are Klingons there. So um, in the original show, Mm-hmm. They, it's all it's all Klingon ship models. Really, they, they had lost the model. When they go back and and uh, re, what did they do? Remaster. They remaster it using new technology. Yeah, they, they are. They've already made the the Romulan ship digital model, mm-hmm. and they can now combine it and and have both Klingon ships and the old Romulan model, they don't have to be like, well, we lost it, we don't have it. We're like, well, we, we do have it because we made a digital model now. That's right. So they, they combine them. Because so, there's all this dialogue about Klingon ships. Yeah. So they, they couldn't just, like, go back and turn them all into warbirds. They could combine them, though. So you do see the classic warbird and Klingon models and go, oh, it's a mixed bleed. Well, in earlier thing to do when you've got yeah. digital. Well, in earlier drafts of the script, uh, there was a Klingon Romulan alliance going on. Right. So, uh, so that was also part of it. That uh, that. That was the in-story explanation for why they're sharing technology. Right. Because you know we do have that issue, which they were able to develop that the Romulans had like apparently come via warp and now had to basically walk home. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Whereas if they had gotten Klingon warp technology, then you could warp to, warp back. Right. And they had that. And, and now that in exchange, the Klingons had the cloaking device. So when uh, Fontana's notes went largely ignored, she went over their heads and went to Roddenberry, as did Nimoy, who felt that Spock was oversexed in the final draft. Uh, of course, Roddenberry came down and said, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's fix that. 
Years later, DC Fontana said that she felt the relationship between Spock and the commander was dumb. She said that if, if she was the commander and she saw a Vulcan, that she wouldn't trust him at all. They have too much honor. She does, however, recognize that this is a fan favorite. So she says, what does she know? Freiberger, also years later, in an issue of Starlog magazine, said, uh, the story dramatically, I felt, didn't work. There were some good elements in it, and uh, Dorothy Fontana probably had a better grasp of Spock's character than I did. But one of the things I really wanted to do with Spock's character was to explore the areas that Gene had built into the character about a Vulcan father and an Earth mother, which I didn't see much of. He was just playing the cool guy all the time from what I saw. I wanted to show other aspects of the character, which were not in Fontana's original script. Which then, Fontana wrote a note back to Starlog, a letter, which they published, which was basically like, obviously he didn't know that Journey to Babel existed. And of course, there were other plenty other examples of the human side of Spock in the series. Joanne Linville, she was hired to play the Romulan commander. She was 40 at the time. Uh, one of her first jobs on TV was in the 1950s for the Kaiser Aluminum Hour as the title character of Gwendolyn, an episode that she uh, co-starred with William Shatner. Uh, she and Shatner then appeared later in 1958 in the United States Steel Hour, and then in 1961 for an episode of The Defenders. So they had already worked together several times. So this uh, is kind of uh, the same as, as our recent episode. Right. Our last episode where uh, Elon had worked with... Uh, uh, Shatner for many months on Broadway. Well, that's all I got right now for uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. As always, let's get to it. Captain's log, starting. It's five-year mission. We start off, instead of a captain's log, we have the doctor's medical log. And he's worried about Captain Kirk. Great. Thanks, Leonard. Now I am, too. He shows increased tension and emotional distress. Which, as we tend to do, we play the what-if game. We could consider that this episode is chrono chron chronologically takes place after the last two episodes where Kirk has fallen for a woman only to lose her, um, lose her in the end. And we could say that this is where the stress is coming from. We could say that. We see right off the bat that Kirk is snappy with, well, just about everyone. Chekhov and Spock particularly shown in this scene. McCoy suspects that too much work and no play makes James a crazy boy. Kirk, as we have seen with most of our captains, uh, is resistant to any kind of psychological exams. Kirk then orders Sulu right into the Romulan neutral zone. Then past the neutral zone and into Romulan space. Scotty comes to the bridge and asks Uhura if he missed Starfleet's order to go into the neutral zone. Uhura says that she is unaware of any such order. Kirk overhears this and says, uh, hey, if you got something to say, you can go ahead and say it out loud. Then suddenly a Klingon ship uncloaks. Oh, but it's not the Klingons as we've discussed. It's the Romulans using a Klingon design. And then a second Romulan, uh, a second Klingon ship appears and then a Romulan ship. We are surrounded, says Spock. Kobe Ashimaru, boom. 
Credits. Back at it, Kirk sends a coded message to Starfleet Command. Kirk then calls out Spock, saying, you said it was all clear. But before Spock can defend himself, Uhura tells us that we have a Class 2 message from the Romulans. Whatever that is. The Romulans call out the Enterprise and Kirk and tell them to surrender. Kirk meets the call. They want something, he says. Or they would have killed us already. Moments pass. It's the ship they want. And badly, he says. Spock concurs. Unmuting the communique, Kirk tells them that if any Romulan should enter the ship, he will destroy the ship and you will have no prize. Romulan then asks about Spock and says, I didn't realize you had a Vulcan on board. Then on the Romulan control board, it beeps. It's their commander. They are giving Kirk an hour to decide if they should die or not. Cut to a briefing room scene. Spock explains his theory that the Romulans must have developed a cloaking device. And because this is everybody's first time dealing with a cloaking device, we must tell the viewers that that means that a Romulan ship could cloak, sneak up on any ship or planet before their defenses could even get running. Well, they snuck up on us right quick, says Scott. Kirk snaps back. Thank you, Scotty. Do you have any more helpful advice? Doesn't look like we have much choices, says Scott. We have three, says Kirk. We can fight and be destroyed. We can destroy the ship before they can come aboard. Or we can surrender. Dun, dun, dun. Then they would know everything about the ship, says Scott. Spock then steps up. Had we not entered the neutral zone in the first place, we wouldn't be in this pickle. That may be paraphrased. I may not have written that exactly as he said it. That's basically like how it goes. Right. So at this point, we're largely paralleling like the Pueblo, right? Mm-hmm. So the Pueblo was there to basically to... Uh, the, the Pueblo was uh, disguised as an environmental research ship. You know, like they're looking for ocean currents or uh, fish or, you know, whatever. Right. And their real mission is to collect signals intelligence from North Korea. So they want to get, get as close as possible. They, the United States is also, um, we, we like to contest other countries' claims that they have more than a 12-mile um, you know, boundary. Mm-hmm. Right? The old 12-mile, uh, you know, is based on like how far artillery shells could, could be fired from land, you know, back in the days of sail. Right. And uh, so they're, they're, Insisting that you've got 12 miles, we're going to respect 12 miles, but uh, you have nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. And, and this this ship is accidentally crossing too close, and the North Koreans send out a variety of ships, you know, multiple ships, who then begin firing on the Pueblo, and really put in this situation where you're going to get sunk if you don't surrender. Right, and then the pueblo is forced to. They're forced into the same problem that Kirk is. You know, we could surrender, we could fight and die, or because uh, they're unable to escape. What do we do? That's right. Of course, they end up getting captured for many months. They do end up saying, "Okay, well, 
will do what Kirk does, right? Right. We will surrender, and then, and this is what the the Romulan commander will propose in a few minutes: is that you're going to go with us into Romulan space. Mm-hmm. We'll go to a Romulan base where you will be processed and released, and we're going to keep your officers, especially Kirk, but, and then. The plot will develop, and we realize only Kirk will be held, and so forth. But right, the rest of it is kind of paralleling what happens to the real Pueblo. McCoy tries to step up and say that Kirk had no authority to break into the neutral zone, but Kirk quickly dismisses him. The Romulans call back. The commander of the Romulan ship wants a face-to-face. They'll send over two of their people if Kirk and Spock beam over to their ship. Kirk questions all of this. We do not easily trust each other, says the Romulan. <laughs> no kidding. They agree to a simultaneous exchange. In the transporter room, Kirk reminds Scott that if the Enterprise, that the Enterprise is not to be taken and that if they do not return to fight and destroy the Enterprise before the Romulans can. Scott agrees and they beam over as two Romulans arrive on the Enterprise. The two Romulans immediately pull their guns, which begs the question, where the hell is our security detail? I guess they're just outside the door. Yeah, and and so it is explained at some point, I don't think it's in this episode, but that the transporter is able to, like, disable weapons or Mm. so that these, these disruptors wouldn't necessarily work. Which is why Spock is not, or uh, Scotty is not, a little bit distressed. That's right, he even smiles. Because he knows. (laughs) Exactly. Aboard the Romulan ship, we meet the Romulan commander, and surprise, it's a woman! She lingers on Spock a minute before excusing him so that she can talk to Kirk privately. Romulan commander expresses the galactic issue at hand of Kirk crossing into the neutral zone. Kirk, not playing the good diplomat here, lies that it was an instrument failure that led them into the neutral zone. She, of course, doesn't believe it and says that it's probably not enough to get him cleared of espionage prop of charges. They yell a little bit more until she silences him by saying that if the shoe was on the other foot, Captain, how would you respond? She then calls Spock back into the room. She tells Spock that Kirk has made his statement. She also mentions that she was unaware of Vulcan serving on Federation ship. Spock explains that the Federation is often not is not often telling Romulans about starship postings. <laughs> Kirk asks why Spock is garnering so much interest from her. The Romulans and the Vulcans have the same forebears. She tells Kirk. She asks Spock if it is true that Vulcans cannot lie. And if they cannot lie, then how is it that they came into the neutral zone? Spock says, I will reserve the privilege of speaking only when it will not violate my honor. The commander responds with, it is unworthy, it is unworthy for a Vulcan to resort to subterfuge. Spock says next, and you are trying to be clever. And that is unworthy of a Romulan. 
But is it? I wonder. I wonder if that's unworthy of a Romulan. Seems like this is all par for the course to me. Spock uses the word truth. Kirk reacts, and so does the commander. Oh, so there is a truth, she says. Kirk yells, you've been told everything. The commander comes back with, except for Spock's unspoken truth. Again, an incredibly well-written scene. The commander accuses Kirk of violating the treaty, of knowing that they had a cloaking device, and that trying to discover something about it. We've been through this, yells Kirk. We have not yet begun, yells the Romulan commander. The commander then threatens torture. But Spock says he cannot allow the captain to be destroyed any further. He goes on. The captain has been under some strain for a few weeks. Kirk yells, that's a lie. As you can see, the captain is overly emotional. And I believe that he has been off his rocker for some time now. That too may have been paraphrased. Kirk then tells Spock to shut up. I am not betraying any secrets, says Spock. The captain ordered us into the neutral zone. And as you can see by our quick capture, it was foolhardiness. That was not paraphrased. He actually said that foolhardiness. So we have um, like the actual communications in this case between uh, the... Admiral Smith, and then later General Woodward, who are engaged in negotiations with the North Koreans mm-hmm. to, for the return of the crew. And and they're kind of reflected in these, uh, uh, you know, so on the one hand, you have Admiral Smith saying that uh, this is the fault, that North Korea has violated uh, you know, the law of the sea, you uh, come into neutral waters and uh, seized our ship. This is an act of war. It was an illegal action. You're going to have to apologize to the United States, and we have the right to ask for compensation under international law. Uh, General Pak, the North Korean, says, uh, our saying goes, a mad dog barks at the moon. You came into our waters. So it is you who violated international law, and we were justified in taking your ship because it was you who committed the act of war. Um, so the United States must admit that the Pueblo entered North Korean waters, must apologize for this intrusion, and must assure the Democratic People's Republic of Korea that such intrusions will never occur again. So, you know, this is the, the thing going back and forth between kind of senior officials about the Pueblo. And we're getting kind of a, uh, without, because of course they're, but three weeks away, right? Mm-hmm. We're not getting Federation officials and Romulan officials discussing this. We're getting the captain and the commander discussing these two things. Uh, but we're getting the same kind of arguments. Right. Right. Kirk yells at Spock to shut up. I'm not betraying any secrets, says Spock. Oh, we did this already. Kirk calls Spock a filthy liar. I am speaking now for the safety of the Federation and the Enterprise, that the captain ordered us across the neutral zone on his own initiative and his craving for glory. That sounds very Romulan to me. As Kirk lunges at Spock, but the guards hold him back. I'll get you, you traitor. I'll kill you, he yells. 
we cut to a close-up of Kirk as we cut to commercial. Back in it, the commander calls the Enterprise. She calls them out for espionage. First Officer Spock was instrumental in giving us this information. Since the crew could do nothing but take orders from, the, uh, from Captain Kirk, the crew will not be held responsible. She then goes on to tell the Enterprise to follow them back. And in the meantime, Kirk will be held in confinement. Scott then orders the two Romulan guards into the brig and then calls the Romulan commander back, saying that he'll take no orders from anyone but Captain Kirk. And they recommit to destroying the Enterprise should anyone try to board it. Kirk calls Spock a traitor again, and then he, too, is hauled off to confinement. The commander then starts laying the seduction of Spock. Do you like humans? She asks. Which half do you lean toward? Do you like your shipmates? Do you, uh, do you always follow Kirk's order? You are a superior being. Why do you not have command of your own ship? Have you even been given the opportunity? Spock deflects most of these questions, but also answers them honestly. Even in this case, his honesty helps with the charade. Spock then suddenly turns the tables and reveals the commander's motivations. Not only would bringing home the Enterprise be a big prize, but it would also make her much more powerful. And, she purrs, it would open opportunities for you. Kirk is thrown into the brig and then rams himself into the force field. Hurting himself, he does the same Kirk pain maneuver with his hand in the air, just like he did in the last episode. McCoy is then beamed over to the ship to take a look at the hurt Captain Kirk. McCoy is scanning him, but says that Kirk will be fine. He just needs much more medical attention. The guard then calls up to the commander, uh, who, who decides she wants to see this for herself. She tells Spock as she heads out of her quarters, attend me. I'll expect you for dinner. We have much to discuss, she says. Then quickly changes it and says, allow me to rephrase. Will you join me for dinner, she says. Spock makes a turn down the wrong corridor, but she tells him that only loyal Romulans are allowed down that cor corridor. But I hope for you that will change, she says. Spock responds with, it is illogical to think that all constants will remain the same. In the brig, Kirk looks rough. McCoy continues to follow that line that the captain is overworked and mentally hung up. So he's unfit, she asks. Spock has already told me as much. McCoy begrudgingly agrees. The commander now believes that Spock has been truthful all along, being backed up by McCoy. She now manipulates Spock into taking command of the Enterprise. Bones is dumbfounded. And in Kirk's weakened state, Kirk again calls Spock a traitor. He comes after Spock, who uses the Vulcan death grip. What? The captain is dead. Not surprisingly, we go to commercial. Back in it, we see Kirk's dead body lying on the slab of the Enterprise Medical. McCoy walks by, then in walks Nurse Chapel. She examines the body, but as she does, Kirk's eyes flash open for just a second. Chapel calls for McCoy, 
McCoy says, no one's supposed to be in here. I put that, I said that. And she's like, I just had to see for myself. But he's not dead. Well, since you know, you might as well assist me, he says. We discover that Spock's death pinch was only a nerve pinch to simulate death. Spock is not a traitor, but he and Kirk have been working under Federation orders, he says. Kirk awakes and looks around. Kirk tells Chapel that as far as anyone else knows, he's still dead. The masquerade, as Kirk puts it, was to keep plausible deniability and put the blame solely on himself. McCoy then calls up to the bridge and gets Scotty to come down to sickbay. Scott is reluctant, but finally concedes. As soon as he enters, he stops babbling and then smiles as he sees Kirk dressed as the Romulan. Kirk asks Scott to get him a uniform from one of the Romulan guards that's in the brig. Scott, still smiling, says, my pleasure. It's weird, though, because Kirk does not tell him not to tell anybody. But he then does look, turn and look at the camera so we can get a full-faced view of Romulanian Kirk. <laughs> Back on the Romulanian ship, the commander and Spock are at dinner. Well, it's kind of dinner. It's really just a cart with some Vulcan dishes on it, but sure, that's dinner. Spock compliments the commander about the food on the ship. <laughs> He's an old smoothie, isn't he? What a compliment. She then hands Spock some ramp Romulan ale, which I myself got to try at the Las Vegas Hilton at Quark's Bar. Of course, that doesn't exist anymore. It was very I, delicious, but it gave me a blue tongue. I have, uh, I had some bottles of it at one point. Yes. I may still crawling out in boxes somewhere. <laughs> I think I, I mean, I know I still have one and I, I think I gave you one knowing your love for the Romulans. Yeah, we went to, uh, we went to the Star Trek experience as it was called. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was, it was a good time. Just being on the bridge of the, uh, you know, the Enterprise D was worth it. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't, I don't remember that. Uh, you didn't do but that I, part. I, I remember, yeah. I remember going on some kind of tour. There was like a a shuttle ride. Where like you, you think you're in a, you know, they, they show you like a, you're basically in a, in a room that, that like bounces up and down. Uh-huh. And they, they project a screen that like you're in a shuttle. Yeah. Well, so that's the end of that ride. I just don't remember a whole lot of. It was so it was really cool. Sidelight, sideline to the story, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was really cool. So what you do is you're standing in line, blah blah blah, and then they take you into this little room, right? And when you're in this little room, they you know project one of those like for the safety, please stick with you know your blah blah blah. And then in the middle of that, in the middle of them giving you all the safety stuff, no, there's some kind of weird like manipulation of the screens, and then you like see a flash of a Borg or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like, you hear the noise of the of the uh, transporter and you magically appear on uh, when they bring up the lights, you've magically appeared on the on the transporter thing of the Enterprise D. Uh-huh. And so then they're like, oh, looks like we got them. You know, and then they're, uh, they take you down a corridor. You see a couple of Borg coming at you. They fire at the Borg. The Borg die. And then you end up on the bridge of the Enterprise D. And then on the Enterprise D, like, from engineering, 
Riker comes on screen and tells you that, you know, they're being attacked by the Borg and that one of us in the, uh, it, it, who are on this tour is a uh, descendant of Picard, I think. And that uh, that's why the Borg have come back to our time to try and capture one of us so that Picard doesn't exist. And so they've got to make sure that we're safe. And then... Apparently during recording, this is when my computer froze up and stopped recording both on the video and on the audio backup that I have. So let me recap the rest of the fun time at the Las Vegas Hilton. The experience, I think it was. The Star Trek experience. Is that what it was? Anyway, let me wrap it up. And then, thinking that everything is fine, they put you on a shuttlecraft, and then you're flying over Vegas, but then there's a Borg attack while you're on the shuttle, and finally they get you back to the Hilton. When you come out, you are magically back in the Hilton. And as I finish my story, I'm sure that Ken would have gone on to say something like, uh, yeah, I don't remember any of that, I just remember the shuttlecraft, and we would have laughed, and... That would have been the end of it. But since Ken didn't hear me and I just ended up continuing to talk, Ken never said anything about this. <clears throat> anyway, back to our recap here. Back on the Enterprise, McCoy wonders what's taking Spock so long. Kirk doesn't know either, which of course makes me wonder what the heck was the plan all along. Did Spock, did Spock get stuck over there? Is he trying to glean other information out of the commander? Does Spock actually want to sleep with the commander? What is happening? Again, I'm sure Ken would have laughed there, but because audio sucks, I'll move on. Anyway, Kirk can't wait any longer, and he beams aboard the flagship. He is quickly discovered by a Romulan guard who manages to believe every word that Kirk says about uh, having escaped from the Enterprise and made his way back onto the ship. Now we'll pick up where the video continues. The commander continues to try to manipulate Spock by gaslighting him by saying that uh, he has nothing in Starfleet. But here, he could not have not only have anything he wants, but he could have her. She also says that there's one last step to making him a made man in the Romulan eyes to lead a small party of Romulans over to the Enterprise take command, and then take the Enterprise back to Romulus. Spock decides to buy them an extra hour by suggesting something else could be happening in the meantime. She then tells Spock her name by whispering it in his ear. He says her name is incongruous with her as a soldier. Give me a minute, she says, and the soldier will become a woman. As soon as she walks out the door, Spock brings out his communicator and calls Kirk. Kirk, of course, is already, uh, <clears throat> is already on the ship. He then tells Kirk where the cloaking device is. Then the Romulans on the bridge catch whiff of communications coming from inside the ship. Oh, no. Kirk says, if I get the cloaking device, will you be able to get off the ship? Unknown. Currently, my hands are, and the commander walks back in. She is out of uniform and in a nice blue and white off-the-shoulder dress. So, funny story about this dress. Bill Thies, uh, as always, wanted to make this dress a little bit sexier. But the week before, Linville comes in for a, 
for a, uh, a, a fitting. And it was just this like one piece of fabric that was sort of wrapped around the mannequin. So what she does is she kind of reworks the dress to kind of give her an over the shoulder look, not something quite as sexy. Uh, she said that she said uh, she wanted to do that because she was a soldier and the dress would not be so provocative. She says to Spock, is my attire appropriate? Spock says, it is not only appropriate, but it should stimulate our conversation. That too was not paraphrased. That's actually in the script. Spock puts up his hand in the Vulcan greeting. She puts up hers and their hands begin to rub. Hmm. I'm getting serious Star Trek three Pond Far vibes here. <laughs> Cut to Kirk. He tries to enter the cloakroom. <laughs> see what I did there? The guard demands to see his papers. Kirk suddenly shouts, look over there. And the guard looks and Kirk knocks him out. Back to more Pond Far in the commander's room. It's, it's on and it's getting heavy. Oh, but they are interrupted. The sub commander on the cruiser enters saying that there was a transmission and it was sent from this room spock walks out with the command spock walks out with the communicator in his hand commander immediately heads towards the cloaking device bring him she says outside the cloakroom kirk has found his way in he enters and is quickly stopped by another guard who he quickly disarms then pulling the device off of its pedestal kirk beams back aboard the enterprise back on the Romulan ship. So I, I am wondering why the Romulans don't have their shields up or how transportation was able to work. If, they, if, the, if the Romulans knew that there was an intruder aboard the ship, why did they not have some kind of... Yeah, that's a good question. And DC Fontana brought that up herself. She originally had written in a couple of lines of dialogue where she basically talks about why. You know, that the that uh, there's one scene where where Spock goes back aboard the ship. So, you know, when she tells him, like, I want you to later when she tells Spock that later that I want you to go aboard the other ship and I want you to, you know, like basically take command of it. He then lowers the shields so that Kirk can beam back over. But they changed that to have the ending that they have in this one. So, yes, <laughs> that question uh, is definitely uh, is definitely lingering there. You needed you needed Obi Wan to lower the tractor beam. Right, exactly. And that didn't happen. And of course, they could have had Kirk, you know, as he was entering this place before he encounters the guard, go to a panel that is clearly marked, you know, transport inhibitor, or yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, or whatever, and disable it, and we would have known. Right? And it would have taken mm -hmm. seconds. And then the guy shows up and says, yeah, no one's allowed to be here. And he's like, there's an intruder I'm investigating. Wait, what's behind you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we didn't, we didn't even get that. So it just ends up being like, wait a minute, how do you transport off a ship that knows you're on board? Plus, of course, they would have had shields up because it's a confrontational situation. Right. Back on the Romulan ship, they find the device gone. She demands that they search the ship, but Spock assures them that he won't be found. How could you do this to me, she asks. I am the first officer of the Enterprise, he says. She slaps him. 
What is your current form of execution? Asks Spock as we go to commercial. Back with it. Is it just me or does the cloaking device here look a bit a little bit like Nomad? Like they just took uh, a couple yeah. of pieces from Nomad and just put them on top of that big round ball. I think they're just kind of making, you know, space objects, science objects, yeah. you know, strange, futuristic thing. Scott has 15 minutes to get uh, to get this thing tied down into the deflector shield. Kirk then makes his way back to the bridge in uniform this time, but still has his eyebrows and ears on. Everyone is excited to see him, but they don't have time. Kirk, very nonchalantly, order, gives them orders to get back to work. This is to be in opposition of what was happening at the beginning of the episode. So we've now flipped the script on the Pueblo incident. Okay. Because uh, in the real situation, the, uh, the communists, at one point it was thought that the Soviets had initiated this because... Uh, in, in a parallel that would have been unknown at the time, um, starting in uh, 1967, uh, the Walker uh, spy ring had been formed by uh, Warrant Officer uh, Walker to give the Soviets knowledge of Navy communications and so forth. And therefore, the idea was that they would have wanted to take the Pueblo to get its communications information so they could... But uh, it's actually, we now know, through declassified, you know, fall of the Soviet Union era records that it was the Chinese who wanted to initiate this, not the Soviets. But the Americans did try to destroy their communications devices so that they could not be captured, but the North Koreans wanted them and they did take them. So let's just substitute the cloaking device for the for the fact that there was intelligence communications information here. And uh, that's now it's the the Pueblo that's stealing communications devices uh, with a cloaking device from the Romulans and making their escape. Because they will not spend uh, 11 months in captivity. Back on the Romulan ship, the commander, the commander, Spock, and the sub-commander walk into her quarters. She orders her sub to get the group ready to board the Enterprise. And if anyone resists, shoot them. He leaves, and it's just Spock and her in her quarters. She informs him that the execution will take place when the charges have been formally recorded. He asks for the right of statement first. She says, you understand Romulan tradition well. Spock, of course, is trying to buy time so that they can get the cloaking device hooked up to the Enterprise. He says this should only take 20 minutes. It will give us enough time to find your friend. Which made me wonder, why does she still think that they are going to find him in the ship? That's that's crazy. <laughs> I guess because the shields are up and he shouldn't be able to beam over. Right, and and there's, there's no, at no point do they say, because they, they do tell us we found a ship-to-ship communication coming from within this room. But at no point do they go, ah, we located, you know, teleportation from within the cloak room. They have escaped with the cloaking device, mm-hmm. which you think they would have known. Exactly. So we never get a, like, why they don't know that. But they don't. Apparently, Obi-Wan has lowered the, uh, trend, the right. tractor beam. 
The commander then uh, records the charges against Spock, and Spock then starts his statement. Back on the 1701, Scott is still working on the device. Back on the Romulan ship, Spock continues rambling, as only a Vulcan can. Back on Kirk's bridge, Chekhov has finally found Spock through the scanners, just as Scott has the device installed. Whether or not it'll work, that's a whole other story. They quickly beam Spock aboard, but not before the commander jumps on Spock and beams over with him. Kirk tells Sulu to get us out of here. Warp Factor 9. The Romulans give chase. Spock and the commander enter the bridge. Weird that she would be allowed on the bridge. It's, it's for dramatic effect. I mean, exactly. obviously. She then threatens the ship, saying it will all be over soon, and the Enterprise will soon be destroyed. Kirk, Kirk opens communications with the Romulans. He points out their commander is on the bridge. But she doesn't hesitate and tells her sub-commander to fire on the Federation vessel. They cut communications. So here's something that's a little bit weird as well, that the Enterprise is at warp nine, and yet the Romulans are still gaining on them? Question mark? Just as the Romulans get within firing range, Kirk tells Scott to throw the switch, and he does. And it works! The sub-commander tries to fire into the place where Kirk should be, but the captain is smart enough to have turned the ship and the Romulans fire into empty space. Spock tells us that the commander has assured him that their scanners can't track a ship even when it's cloaked. Kirk then walks up to the commander and tells her that she will be dropped off at the nearest starbase. I will take my place in your brig, she says. Now, Mr. Spock will show you to your quarters. Spock and the commander then take a trip in the turbo lift. He says, it is regrettable that you became an unwilling passenger. The cloaking device was all the Federation wanted. The Federation? But what did you want? Uh, the cloaking device was my only interest when I boarded your vessel. And then what did you come away with? She asks. You underestimate yourself, Commander, says Spock. Military secrets are the most fleeting of all, and I hope you and I exchange something a little more permanent. They have a final exchange where they agree to keep their little secrets. Back on the bridge, McCoy calls up and says... So, uh, let's, let's pause at this moment. Uh, so we've talked about how oftentimes uh, Kirk's romances are not really genuine romances. Uh -huh. That a fair amount of the time, Kirk is trying to save the ship uh, or accomplish the mission by uh, romancing the girl. And in this case, that job was given to Spock. Mm -hmm. Right? So, you know, once again, we've got this kind of romance situation, but it's not really a romance. It's really uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> uh -huh. for, for Queen and Country. Back on the bridge, McCoy calls up and says that if all the shouting is done, I'd like to see you in sickbay for surgery. Let's get your ears fixed, he says. Spock, arriving back on the bridge, says, Please go. They do not look aesthetically agreeable on humans. Well, are you coming? Asks McCoy. 
Or do you want to end up looking like your first officer for the rest of your life? <laughs> I'm on my way, says Kirk. And that is the end of that. The ratings of the original airing of this episode were good. CBS, uh, CBS, however, won the night with a movie called Sex and the Single Girl from 1964. I suppose, based on that title, that you can guess why it claimed 50% of the viewership that night. Star Trek came in with a respectable 22%, and Judd for the Defense came in following with 19%. Even though it was a bottle show and filmed in six days, the Enterprise incident still came in $1,200 over budget. If a show such as this couldn't stay within Paramount's miserly budget, then what could? With only four episodes now in the can, the series was $22,485 in the red. Which would put us at... $189,324 in today's money. Gene Roddenberry sent down a note after watching this episode saying, Fred, I think your work with Shatner has been great this season and he is showing an, a new strength, which is far beyond anything he has shown in the past. The Enterprise incident opening, even though he is faking irritability, it comes off great. I've always thought that the Enterprise captain should have a little more Ben Casey in him, than, and I think that we're getting it this year a spine of steel and enormous strength of personality. And the more Kirk shows it, the more we believe him as captain. Great work. And that is all I got for this episode. Anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? Sure. As I mentioned uh, during the episode, Elan uh, of Troyes, this is going to be a season of strong women. Mm -hmm. And our, our Romulan commander is, is the second, right? So we get, yeah. uh, we get Elan of Troyes, and now we get uh, this Romulan commander. Uh, she's strong, yet she's um, uh, attractive, right? So we, we get, uh, just as Elan of Troyes had her romance with the captain, which was, uh, you know, supposedly uh, had some genuineness to it, right? Right. Uh, we get this uh, with Spock and the, and the Romulan commander, which, again, is... is you know, more than just espionage at the end of the day. You underestimate yeah. yourself, Commander. Um, so uh, we get these strong women who get to have a, you know, a romance with members of the bridge crew. And uh, I think we can look, look forward to some more of this this season. All right, right on. Well, next week is And the Children Shall Lead. That's what we're getting on next week. More kids on Star Trek. Oh, boy. Can't wait. Well, with that wrapped up, my name is Matt, coming to you from Austin, and coming to you from Planet Houston is my brother Ken. Say goodbye, Ken. I'm a doctor, not an exobiologist. <laughs> and on that note, we'll see you all in two weeks. <laughs>